Well, hello and welcome to this EMJ podcast on the theme of dengue disease, a global problem with an increasing burden. My name is Sue Saville, an independent health journalist, finding out in this podcast how the dengue infection spread by mosquitoes can be a health risk even in non-endemic areas or non-tropical regions. The podcast is funded by Merck, as is known in the US and Canada, or MSD, as it's known in the rest of the world, including Europe. Did you know that half the world's population is at risk of dengue, or that dengue was categorised as a top 10 World Health Organisation public health priority in 2019? Many believe that dengue is the most important mosquito-borne viral disease affecting humans worldwide, and yet the risk is not widely understood in some countries. So, what should healthcare professionals and the public know about this threat to global health and about the significance of viruses in the bloodstream carrying the dengue infection, about the increase of cases among Europeans, and also about the risk of infected travellers spreading the disease to susceptible populations? Well, to tackle these issues, I am delighted now to be joined by Professor Tiki Panyestu, who is a visiting professor at Yong Lulin School of Medicine at the National University of Singapore and former director of research policy and cooperation at the World Health Organization in Switzerland. Also joined by Dr. Yao Bosco Sequeira, Jr., epidemiologist, associate professor at the Federal University of Goiás in Brazil, former advisor to the Brazilian Ministry of Health on dengue and on the surveillance of communicable diseases. Welcome to you both. Are you there? Are you with us? Yes, happy to join the podcast. <laughs> Hello, so very glad to be here. It's lovely to have you with us online from across the world for this important conversation. So let's just start to begin with. Um, can you tell us then perhaps about what dengue disease is? What, what sort of disease is it uh, and what causes it? Professor Fangestu, perhaps to you first. Well, as it's widely known, it's caused by a virus, which is uh, spread by the Aedes um, mosquito. And it sort of manifests as either a dengue fever or in the more severe cases, it manifests as a hemorrhagic form uh, of dengue, dengue hemorrhagic fever. And in even the other severe end of the spectrum, it can result in dengue shock syndrome. And in those severe end of the spectrum, it can actually be, be quite uh, fatal. So I'll let uh, you all uh, perhaps add to that. Yeah, uh, it's an infectious disease. The main point here is that you feel really, really bad. Severe headache, high fever, muscle and joint pain, rash, you can have vomiting, nausea, and you feel really, really bad. Even if you're not a, a more severe case, like Professor Tiki mentioned, it, it was called breakbone fever in the past, so we can all figure out that it's not something good. And it's then part of these arboviral diseases then, and there seems to be rather a dramatic emergence of these diseases in recent years. I understand that it's endemic now with dengue in some 120 plus countries. Has the world really woken up to the risk, uh, Dr. Sequeira? Well, there's been a lot of efforts to prevent the transmission of the dengue viruses, but it's hard 
it's transmitted by a mosquito that, that it's extremely adapted to our modern world. It's not possible to eradicate this, this mosquito. It's, it's around, it's within our homes. So it poses a huge challenge. To prevent dengue, we need to work together at our homes, policymakers, new technologies. It's a huge challenge for everyone, for endemic countries. We are facing global warming, mosquitoes are spreading throughout the world, and perhaps it would be a huge challenge to Europe and the United States in the near future too. Just to add to, to what you all just said, I think the, one of the main, there are probably three main reasons that we've seen an explosion of dengue, as you said, in, in countries around the world. And most of those countries, if you look at the map, are in the tropical regions. So the first reason is actually climate. You have high temperatures, global warming, you have high precipitation and rainfall, you have high humidity, uh, the conditions that mosquitoes love. So that's the first reason. The second reason, of course, is movement of people. Travel has just exploded. Okay, it was interrupted during COVID, but it has begun to reach pre-pandemic uh, levels. And the third reason is urbanization. Dengue is largely an urban disease. And in, in many parts of Southeast Asia, as well as in Latin America, you have these big mega cities, you know, like Jakarta and Bangkok with 11 million. Uh, I'm not sure what's the population of, of Rio or, or Sao Paulo, but I'm pretty sure it's just as big. So these are the three, you know, uh, a climate, travel, people movement, and urbanization. And with that then, as you both described it, so clearly the threat is spreading beyond regions where we had normally thought it might be more contained. How can we then look at the assessment of how dangerous it might be to populations in other areas, to Europeans um, and indeed to travellers who, who are coming back into perhaps susceptible populations? Dr. Sapira, what do people really need to realise about this? Well, Dengue is a global problem. It is mosquitoes are spreading and they are adapting even to low temperature places, so settings. So when you think about dengue, as Tiki mentioned, we are the ones moving viruses around the world. And when a traveler has a dengue infection, it may present symptoms, it may not, but he's a source for the mosquito. If he returns home and there, there's mosquito around, transmission may start. So basically, we need to be aware of dengue. We need to set up some good surveillance systems to identify cases as soon as possible, trying to limit the transmission in non-endemic areas. So if you're traveling to an endemic area, you need to be aware of it. If you are returning home, you need to be aware of the symptoms when you talk to your doctor. So this is very important to everyone, even in non-endemic places. Just to add to that, in, in non-endemic areas, there could be a problem that the healthcare professionals, the physicians may not oh, yeah. be aware or thinking about dengue when travelers return with this sort of fairly undifferentiated, non-specific fever. But I think for as, as you all said, if uh, um, 
if a good travel history is taken and it's known that that person has been to an endemic area, that should be one of the possible diagnoses. And, you know, make sure you do the, the necessary tests. That's a great point. Mm. And interesting that you say, uh, Dr. Sakura is saying that we are the ones moving it around. We think of the vector being the, the mosquito. Are, are the mosquitoes then that transmit uh, arboviruses all the same? I wonder if dengue is transmitted by the same mosquitoes, for instance, that spread infectious diseases or like malaria or Japanese encephalitis. Dr. Sakura, what do you think? Well, we have different mosquitoes for different diseases. Malaria, it's a different mosquito, but for arboviruses, basically, it is Egyptis, the main driver, and it can transmit yellow fever, Zika virus, chikungunya virus. It may transmit uh, other diseases in the future. So it's a very adaptive mosquito. It's very capable when we think about disease transmission. And it poses a really a huge threat even to non-endemic areas because think about it. If you have the mosquito with the introduction of the virus, all this population in Europe, United States, they are naive. They have never seen an infection, experienced an infection with an virus like dengue before. So we have the potential for these huge outbreaks if there's a lot of mosquitoes around. And what about uh, the tiger mosquito, um, Professor Fangestu, the, the Aedes albopictus? How, how is this mosquito population expanding in subtropical areas? And I wonder if it poses a danger for transmitting these arboviruses. Yes, uh, uh, in my view, Aedes albopictus has, is probably one of the neglected mosquitoes. I mean, everybody focuses on Aegypti. Uh, but it's also when we were at the Asian Dengue Summit, it's very clear that dengue is actually spreading even to rural areas. And that's where the Aedes albopictus tends to perhaps play a more important role compared to Egypti, which is mainly in, in sort of highly populated uh, urban areas. So um, I think the, the, the tiger mosquito uh, has probably been not so much um, thought of as the primary uh, vector of dengue, but in my view, it's, I think, going to become uh, increasingly important in the future as uh, dengue spreads more into some of the rural areas, you know, the way some of these spread megacities are spreading out into the countryside, let's say. Gosh, so That's what needs to be done then in terms of prevention? Uh, in terms of what can be done to, con to control this um, in terms of perhaps in the past we've used insecticides as uh, a way of controlling it, but that's not a complete strategy. Dr. Sequeira, what, what do you think? What else needs to be done? Well, we are basically fighting dengue with the technology that was available several years, decades ago, insecticides. But there is an increased resistance for these insecticides. So mosquitoes can now resist. They don't die like they did in the past. They are resistant. And we need new technologies. But also we need this comprehension that every single one of us has a role to play in this diseases transmission. We need to take care of our homes. 
It, it is a jitai. It needs a breeding site, which basically is water, clean water around. So if there's any breeding site in your home and you're in an endemic area, it may be enough for the for you to have create a creation of mosquitoes sort of in your home. And this is not good at all. So even as citizens, we have our own role to play. But as policymakers, we also need to recognize the importance of dengue, the need for new technologies, need to new ways to do vector control, needs for vaccines. So this is what we need to change what's happening in the world right now with dengue. Just to add to that, I think I've always been of the view that what one needs is an integrated holistic strategy to try and control dengue. And it basically has five components. The first one is surveillance. We need to basically keep track of the virus, of the mosquitoes, of the cases, of obviously the, the mortality rates. The second one is to make sure our healthcare system is able to take care of those who become severely ill. The third one, as you all mentioned, is vector control. And you know, insecticide resistance, he already mentioned, is becoming a problem. So there are some interesting new developments. For example, I'll just mention one, the use of a Wolbachia bacteria to try and suppress or replace the mosquitoes that transmit the virus. So there's a lot of work going on. I'm not sure whether that's happening in Latin America, but certainly in Indonesia, in uh, the northern part of Australia, in Singapore, uh, people are trying this new technology using Wolbachia bacteria. So that's the third one vector. Um, also, as was discussed in Bangkok last week, vaccination. I think that's the fourth pillar that it hasn't really been widespread and, uh, you know, for the lack of availability of good, effective and safe vaccines. But I believe that's changed. That's going to change in the next two or three years. So I think vaccine will be another important component. But the last one, I think, is in, in some ways the most important one. And, and I think uh, you all already mentioned this, and that is the communities. Okay, it's education, it's raising awareness, it's engagement, making sure that they know what to do within their homes to prevent the breeding of the mosquitoes. And even simple things, uh, when you go out at dusk, when the mosquitoes bite, maybe put mosquito repellent on, on, on your arms or whatever, or wear long sleeve shirts. But most importantly, take care of your homes. So there's no stagnant water, for example, where these mosquitoes can breed. And this is a great challenge because basically when we come to these endemic areas, we know what to do, but we are not doing it. So we also need to find a way to change our behavior, bring knowledge into practice. And in terms of raising that awareness, and you talk there about the importance of communities, education, healthcare professionals knowing what to do, those who consider themselves to be outside the higher risk areas, um, and perhaps might even be asymptomatic, 
Um, how susceptible are they? Have there been examples of people catching dengue fever in some of these other areas? Dr. Sakura. Yeah, uh, basically, in non-endemic areas, you have a whole naive population. Everybody is susceptible. And as Tiki mentioned, if you are returning from an endemic area and you have fever, headaches, you need to tell your doctor that you were where you were because you would not think of dengue as the main reason for your symptoms, but we need to let them know about it. And of course, with, with global warming and climate change, I think the other critical issue is, of course, are the mosquitoes around? Okay. And, you know, the distribution of the Aedes mosquito has sort of expanded because of global warming. It's now like in the southern states of the United States, in southern Europe, in northern Australia. So, you know, somebody might come back from an endemic area, but whether or not that person then spreads dengue locally will depend on whether the mosquitoes are there. Yeah, surveillance for the mosquitoes and what kind of mosquitoes, what species we have, if it's increasing, if it's spreading, especially for Europe, and other areas in the United States, it's critical. We need to know what's going on so we can prepare for maybe an introduction and the start of epidemics in these countries. Professor Pangestu, why is this concept of viremia particularly important when we talk about dengue? Well, viremia refers to the amount of virus that's circulating in the, in the bloodstream. And I mean, the evidence is very clear that the more virus you have uh, circulating, the more damage it can do. And in, in sort of severe cases of, 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 of dengue, uh, there is a very high load of the virus in the body that causes sort of, um, the word is like an immunological perfect storm. You end up releasing a lot of chemical mediators in the body that causes uh, bleeding symptoms, that causes uh, hypovolemic shock, meaning fluid leaks out from your body, and patients can deteriorate, deteriorate very rapidly from a state of fever into hemorrhagic fever into shock syndrome. Okay, so basically the viremia is closely related to the potential severity of the disease. And of course, if you have a lot of virus in the blood, your potential to spread the virus is even more because when a mosquito bites you, that mosquito is likely to end up with a lot of virus uh, and then spread it to, to others. So viremia is a, a very important concept. And how important then to reduce that viral load, uh, Dr. Sequeira? Well, this, it's, as, as Tiki mentioned, the higher the viral load, you're, we are offering more viruses to the mosquitoes when they are feeding. So if we reduce it, we will, there's a, a chance that these mosquitoes may not be infected, so transmission could be reduced. But I want to add another point to everyone who's listening for the first time about dengue. Dengue has something that's really, really tricky. Since we are children, every time we have a fever, we know we are sick. But when the fever is dropping, it means that we are getting better, not for dengue. When the fever is dropping, it's the critical phase. So you, be, you need to be very aware of 
different phases for a disease that threatens your life. So that's a huge message here. It's not when your fever is dropping, it's not the end of the disease. It may be the start of the critical phase. And may I just clarify something? Is it possible to catch dengue from one infected person to another, or do you need to have a mosquito bite for each infection? It's a, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. It's not person yes. to person. Yes, absolutely. It's it's not like COVID where you can get it if somebody coughs next to you. It definitely requires a mosquito to an infected mosquito carrying the virus to actually bite you. And uh, as we all know, it's only the female mosquitoes that bite you. And to clarify that point, perhaps we should say that whilst in general dengue can only be transmitted by mosquitoes, it is important to point out that as a bloodborne virus, care should be taken in certain rare circumstances where transmission can occur unrelated to mosquito bites because infection with a dengue virus results in a high titered viremia of approximately seven days. Bloodborne transmission is possible through exposure to infected blood, organs and, and other tissues, uh, such as bone marrow. But we should say this remains rare. There is though also the possibility of vertical transmission. A pregnant woman already infected with dengue can pass the virus to her fetus during pregnancy or around the time of birth. And the risk of vertical transmission is actually not negligible, I understand, especially if viremia in an infected mother is present in the immediate weeks prior to delivery. And dengue, of course, can have harmful effects, including the death of the fetus, low birth weight and premature birth. But unless blood is involved, dengue virus is not transmitted by respiratory droplets, saliva or sexual contact. So I think that's helpful to understand. Now, you've both put to the forefront then how important it is that healthcare professionals and the public uh, know about dengue virus, especially when the symptoms are so undifferentiated. So could you each perhaps say how you see things in the future? Is the dengue virus going to be an increasing risk to us all? Dr. Sukira? Well, it's already a, a pandemic. We may not see cases as often in Europe and the United States, but the rest of the world is basically endemic for dengue. Will it get worse? Very likely. Global warming, adaptation of the vector around the world. And we need to be aware of it. We need to bring dengue into health discussions. You need to be aware of, it, of its burden in the country. We need to be aware that it's there. It's not going to go away. It's going to spread. And once it spreads, it will lead to massive outbreaks like we have seen in Southeast Asia, Latin America. So here we have seen outbreaks that have last, lasted 25 weeks from the starting point to the ending of the outbreak. That's half of a year. Looking ahead, I would support what what, what uh, you all said, and maybe just to add uh, two, two additional points in the future that these outbreaks uh, are certainly going to continue. I think the first that I've already mentioned is urbanization. Uh, and it's well known that around the world, 
more and more people, more in some countries, more than 50-60% are living in urban areas. And that, that's going to continue in 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 the future, I mean, together with, with, with climate change. The second one, which we've probably not mentioned, is um, the mortality, the death rate from dengue is actually quite low, okay? However, when you look at it, who are the people dying from dengue? And in, in, in many countries, it's still the children, the pediatric population. But if you take Singapore as one example, more than 80 or 90% of the people who have died from dengue in the last four or five years have been more than 65 years of age, okay? And it's a global phenomenon that the world is aging, okay? So I can foresee in the future with an aging population, unless there is perhaps, I don't know, vaccination, better vector control, that particular group of the elderly who have less resistance, weaker immune system, who also have comorbidities, you know, chronic diseases as they get older, they're going to be even more susceptible, okay? So I foresee many, many factors in addition to, to what you are already said, that is likely going to mean we are going to see more outbreaks in the future. And what you're both telling us is so timely. We're hearing in the news that Thailand has a three-year peak in dengue cases, that Peru's health minister stepped down because the, the death toll was jumping so, so much. Thank you both so much for these insights. It's been extremely helpful and very insightful to, to learn about dengue fever. Uh, Professor Tiki Pangestu and Dr. Yao Bosco Sequeira, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed our discussions. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a pleasure meeting you, Joao. Hopefully we can meet in person sometime in the future. Very nice talking to you, Tiki. Very nice thank talking you. to you, Sue. Wasn't thank great you, experience. Yeah. Thank you both. And I want to thank EMJ for facilitating this podcast, uh, for Merck, also known as MSD, uh, for, for sponsoring it. To the audience for listening, thank you so much for taking the time. And there's so much more content on EMJ Review's website where you can dive into lots of subjects and find a recording of this. So thank you very much indeed for listening. Lovely to meet our expert speakers. From me, Sue Savile, it's goodbye for now. Bye-bye.